Never miss a single podcast by signing up for our newsletter at myfeminineheart.com. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of My Feminine Heart. I have the beautiful Kimberly Moore visiting with us in the cyber studio. <laughs> Kim, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're so excited to have you here. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So um, Kimberly is such an inspiration to so many people in the community. I was so excited to, um, to have this opportunity to interview you and talk to you about your story of how you have transitioned so successfully, successfully from, from where we see it, because you're absolutely glowing right now. I'm a very happy person and I am in a good place. So yeah, it's been successful. It's been a challenge, but it's been successful. That's amazing. And Kim, for you, when would you say that you first started to know that you might have had a, a gender dysphoria? So, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So looking back, I've dressed since I was like five or six. When did I start recognizing that it was a gender dysphoria, gender congruence? That wasn't until my 40s to where it started to like, this is more than just a, because I've always viewed it as like it was a self-control, self-discipline issue, something that, you know, I could control and it was, you know, for some bizarre reason, and then I just felt I needed to do, I didn't recognize that there was, there was a medical term and there was a, a medical underlying thing for it, which is gender dysphoria, gender incongruence. And so, uh, when, so the, the question is, you know, when did I first start acting out my gender incongruence? It was probably about five or six. When did I first start recognizing that it was something deeper and deeper? That, that was in, in my 40s that when it was, oh my gosh, you've been doing this for 35 years and it hasn't gone away. What does that mean? And how come? And, you know, all the years of having that erode my self-esteem and my self-confidence. I finally got to a point where I was like, well, maybe I need to kind of find out about this and explore it and uh, kind of get to know what, what makes me tick instead of just trying to put it in a box and bury it, and bury the closet, put it in the closet and bury the closet and whatnot. So, yeah, all my life, but really just in the last 10 years. Kim, what were the moments that really... Um, made you realize as you're in your 30s, as you're in your 40s, that this wasn't going away. Did you want it to go away? Did you try stopping? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I was a U.S. Marine. I played rugby. I, you know, I did all the uber masculine type things, big football fan. Uh, you know, it, it was, I, I always joke with my friend Kristen Beck that you know, if there was such thing as a man card, well, we would have punched pretty much all of the, the little things. I had gone to combat, led a, a company of Marines in Iraq. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of things I couldn't do and stand up with any group of guys and held my own because I had done it all. So having this in my life was such a counter rub to, you know, it's like rubbing my fur backwards, you know. Uh, and I didn't understand why I was compelled or drawn towards it. So when I would engage in dressing, 
I would always end up with this feeling of embarrassment, shame, uh, guilt, and, and then worry. And, uh, but ultimately it was an erosion of myself, just self esteem because I always viewed it as something that needed to have self control and self discipline over. And when it's part of you, it is not a matter of self discipline and self control and, and self denial. It's, it's you and, uh, you can't, you can't run from yourself. And so the harder I tried, you know, it's kind of like, tighter holding sand in your hand, more, more started coming out. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, from, from the earliest days, I remember, you know, after dressing and feeling good and then starting to feel guilty, I would start praying and I would pray to God, just take this. I don't understand this. Just, you know, give me the strength to have the self-discipline and self-control. Uh, I, I pretty much tried everything, you know, uh, so Kim, what did what did life look like for you? You're a parent. You know, were you married through this time? I was. I was a parent, happily married, uh, three lovely kids. Uh, had just, you know, hit the, the peak of my career. Why coming back from Iraq from leading a company? I was over there for 13 months and just uh, I, I was, you know, kind of riding a wave of success. But I just couldn't enjoy it. I just, nothing, nothing really felt, you know, I could, I would get out accolades for my work and hard work because that was another thing about it is to not focus on, you know, this, this duality of person that existed. I had to bury the other person. And I basically, I constantly had to edit myself to others because I didn't want anybody to know or see or think anything. And so there was that constant editing of my life, constant editing of my personality and kind of peeling it away that it really kind of came out and that I was not very engaging. I could be in a fun, happy situation, but I would not be happy inside. I'd be withdrawn from the company and the crowd. Uh, and I could even have a conversation with you and be smiling on the outside, but in the inside, I was in a totally different world and a totally different planet. And the only thing that I was doing was editing my life. So I know it affected my kids. I know it affected my spouse. I know it affected those that were around me. Did uh, your spouse know? Did she know about Kim? Well, like I said, it, it, Kim became manifest later in life. So when we first got married, I had those desires and those, those never went away. In fact, we went to our very first little Halloween party when we were dating. Uh, I went as a uh, little red riding hood because I just, I, I kind of wanted to gauge the environment because this, I like, it made me happy. It made me feel complete, but I didn't recognize that, that at the time. Therapy helps out a lot, I just say. Therapy is a, is a good tool. Uh, but one of the, so, and then later on, uh, I guess probably five, six years into our marriage, she found, you know, my stash, if you will, uh, of which my whole life was a series of buying things and purging them. We had to talk, but at that time, I was still in that, it's a self-control, self-discipline, Deal. So 
I was like, I'm never going to dress again. And it was just a you know phase and don't worry about it. Uh, but the seeds of fear were already sown. And, you know, when you're not open and honest with somebody, these, and I should say these little issues, but when these issues pop up, then it leaves a whole lot of doubt for that other person. And I would think that this would affect everything for you. You know, you having like all this inner doubt with yourself. Um, you're going through a lot of denial. You know, it, oh, yeah. it had it had to have been tough to just go through daily life routines like that. It, since I had always had it, you know, it's kind of like growing up with a bad leg. You, you learn to deal with it and then it becomes a part of your life and you don't really realize what kind of burden it is on your back because your back's always hurting and you're like, that's just part of my day-to-day routine dealing with back pain. It's not until you throw the pack off and you realize, oh my gosh, how much lighter I feel and I don't have this back pain anymore. Uh, it's that kind of analogy. So you don't, I didn't really recognize it and realize it until, you know, I was, I think I was 45 that I really started. Yeah, I was 45. It, it was just like, wow, I, how come I didn't see this before? Well, that's like, it's a great analogy that you just gave. Were you, you know, I just did um, a journey of transition interview with Holly Evans, who's the president of Transcentral PA. And she shared that she really, she didn't connect with anybody. She didn't socialize. Like it was, you know, she was very um, interior in how she lived. So she didn't start to explore that until she started actually sharing that and transitioning. Um, were you a part of the community part-time or were you no. just kind of living this on your own? So it's it funny what you're saying. I, I was the exact opposite. So I used being, I, I forced myself to be an extrovert in high school and, you know, in a fraternity in college and, and whatnot. Uh, I, and I forced myself out there uh, because I felt like if I didn't, I was just going to go into this dark, dark shell of a place. And, but I did get to that point where I could be out and everybody would think I'm extroverted and this wild and crazy guy and I'm the party guy. And, uh, but I was really just, I was lost on the inside because I was just so scared and my self, my self approval was just never there. And uh, so, yeah, I was at the same time very extroverted, acting, very introverted inside. So if there was any situation where I was alone and quiet, I would just grab a book and just sigh relief and just let me alone. And then I would get dressed a little bit. And that's where I was in my happy place. That was when I was truly alive and revived. And uh, and it gave me this, it kind of recharged my batteries to give me the strength through the other several months of where I couldn't do it. Uh, the other part of your question was what? <laughs> so um, for you, did you keep Kim a secret or did you socialize in the, in the trans community, oh, even yeah. though you weren't fully sure that you needed to be Kim full-time? So um, what kind of started all off uh, was I got a makeover up in D.C., uh, Elizabeth Taylor. And I had had one makeover before in Illinois with uh, Rory 
And it was Rory's makeover in Illinois was the very first time that I didn't feel like a clown because I had always done my makeup before and always, you know, I, I was one of those buy and purge type people. So I would go to, you know, Walgreens, buy, you know, makeup because I'd have this, you know, small window of opportunity and maybe had a little small stash of clothes. I'd go take on the makeup, throw on the clothes, enjoy an hour, two hours, three hours of being Kimberly. Then I knew my time was up, take it all off. And then just feel that wave of guilt and embarrassment and shame and just that not feeling that I was capable or strong enough to, to resist this aspect of me. I went to Rory's, got the makeover, and the first time I, I didn't see that same goofy clown looking back. But I really enjoyed having a connection with a cis person that could see my inner beauty and my inner femininity and not judge me for it. In fact, uh, you know, being supportive. So when I was in, we moved to uh, Virginia, I went looking for uh, a makeup artist again. Found Elizabeth Taylor. I set up an appointment with her, went and did it. And when we got done with the appointment, I looked at myself in the mirror and for the first time in my life, I felt beautiful. And I felt just wonderful about myself. And then that's when the light bulb kind of went on. And I was, I was like, oh, shit, you've been doing this for 35 years. And you've always said, oh, I'm never going to do it again. I'm going to put it in a box and put it away and it'll never come back out again. But yet here you are 35 years later, three and a half decades after the first time you dressed and you're still doing it. Maybe, just maybe, if you embrace this part of you and the beauty of yourself, then maybe there's a place for it in your life and maybe you can make it fit instead of always trying to kill it and put it away. Because you're happy right now. I was just looking at myself in the mirror and I started crying and I was like, I'm happy. I'm really, really happy. And I don't understand why I can't carry this feeling beyond this hour session, you know, because there are people in my life that I love and I want to be able to share all of myself with them, not just this little thing. Uh, so from that moment, I started to kind of embrace myself. And part of doing that was taking pictures and, and I got out online on a place called You're Not Alone. From there, I met somebody that was local. In fact, I met a couple of people that were local. And uh, one of them invited me to go out to Freddy's with them one night. Or no, it wasn't Freddy's. It was, uh, there, was a there was a group of trans women in D.C. called, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember the name now. It's changed the name several times as, as the community has kind of shifted. But uh, So we went to one of their meetup events. And had a wonderful time and met quite a few ladies. And one of them invited me to Keystone. And from Keystone, I met the Vanity Club. And from the Vanity Club, I, I was out. And I just, I met so many cool, awesome people. I mean, people like Navy SEALs and CIA agents and business owners and um, military leaders and people that worked in Congress. And I'm meeting all these awesome cool people that were just so sweet and so nice and they were all kind of like me <laughs> they were all tra trans and cross-dressers and uh 
I realized that, my gosh, my whole perception of what that community was like before and the reality of it was so different. And I got it. I was really excited. I was excited to be part of something that was like me and that, that could understand what I was saying when I was talking about the, the purging or, you know, being confronted with the, the abrasiveness of the duality of my spirit and, you know, the, the heartburn that goes with having to, you know, to lie through just to get through your day because you want to deal with the judgment and the, the burden that other people, you're worried that other people are going to put on you. I mean, there's a lot of fear that goes into being trans and it's hard to overcome. So at what point in your life are you realizing this, that you're experiencing this at Keystone with the Vanity Club and you know, you're having the makeovers of Elizabeth Taylor and the photo shoots? Where are you? Are you still in the military at this point? I'm still in the military. I was in my last two years in the military, which added the fear of uh, being outed uh, because in the military, and I, I, you know, a couple years ago, I could say, oh, but you don't have to worry about that this anymore. But we're back to square one, but in the military, if you out yourself or get outed, then you could get kicked out of the military. So you can't even go seek help to find out what's wrong. You just have to suck it up and bury it, which for an emotional issue like PTSD, not being able to talk about it and not letting it out and not having people that you can relate to just compounds it and makes it worse. And I had the typical uh, uh, symptoms, you know, like heavy drinking, no moodiness, uh, being withdrawn. I mean, those are all PTSD symptoms. I I had those because I was bearing and hiding this, this. What being Kim wasn't painful. <laughs> bearing Kim and keeping it her down and not being able to express that—that that was what was painful. And the fear that went along with it, and then the shame that went along with the fear, and the doubt. And it just all compounded. So yes, I was in my last few years of the military. I was married. And uh, I, I, the duress started to build because my crossroads, I was coming closer to my crossroads. I, to the point that, you know, I wasn't ever considering transitioning. Transitioning was something that I was like, it was not for me, you know, I'm Marine, rugby player, et cetera. And, and that's just not the route I'm going. And I was adamant about it. Uh, a lot of my friends kind of saw the writing on the wall and I guess my spouse did too. But that was, you know, to me, that was never really going to be in the cards. You had shared with me a really beautiful analogy that a friend of yours had given. I think you were close to considering transitioning. Well, I was, I didn't understand. So prior to meeting all these cool people, you know, a transsexual was something that you saw on the porn sites or in the back of a Playboy penthouse magazine. Uh, and it wasn't like a real person. You know, it was a caricature in the movie or, you know, back of a porn mag or something like that. And it wasn't a real person. So when I started meeting real people that had not only real jobs, but amazingly cool jobs, you know, uh, that 
demanded a lot of respect just from my life's experience. Uh, I was I was kind of blown away and I was kind of wowed and and I I was in this kind of weird place of being totally unsure about what it all meant and what does it mean. So I I I was at Freddy's and I asked one of them. I said, "Hey, Juliet, how do you know? Like, how do you know the difference between being a class dresser and you know when it's time to quote cross the bridge?" And she laughed at me and she goes, Kimberly, you know, without a doubt, it's time to cross the bridge. When you look around you and your bridge is burning down, and there's only one direction to go. And we both kind of got a laugh at it. And she turns around and I went, oh, shit. Hey, must have turned white as a ghost because my bridges were starting to burn down. And, I, you know, I was trying to put out the flames by being and it seemed to get bigger and and really and truly that's what happened with me I transitioned when uh everything around me had all the doors shut and there was only one open and it wasn't to me it was a matter of survival uh, yeah, that's because everything had shut I had gotten to a really dark spot and that was I went to church and the pastor was giving the sermon about, you know, the invalid that Jesus came up to and said, Hey, you're not going to get healed this way. The only way you're going to get healed is to pick up your mat and walk. And they gave out these little mats and I cried like a baby that, that day at church. And I was like, I know where I'm happy and I know where I'm complete. And all the doors in my life, I had just lost my job. It just, been confronted with the fact that my spouse was not going to reconcile with me. So I went and my, my family, my sisters, and my parents pushed me away because I finally came out to them. And I was, I looked and my bridge had burned down and it was time for me to move forward. So I did. And you, so, and you were living all the biggest fears. Like you oh. thought you had lost your family, your job. Yeah. Yep. I was, I was, Everything that I was worried was going to happen, happened. And I was, to give, give another analogy, since I like giving analogies, as I was approaching that moment, I felt like I was in a barrel on a turbulent river, kind of like in the cartoon. And you know what's at the end of the turbulent river? It's the waterfalls. So I'm in this barrel with no means to paddle or anything, and I'm just bobbing up and down. Now the stream is getting swifter and swifter and the water is more turbulent. And, and I know I'm getting to the edge and I'm dreading that moment. But I feel so powerful and powerless to do anything. Because I knew I could go back to that lie of I'm never going to dress again. Don't worry about it. Knowing full well that in six months at the most, six hours at the least, I was going to be right back in that convoluted moment to where I, I had to do something and then I would be the cycle of lying all over again and that had just become too much of a burden for me to bear and my other choice was to confront transitioning and, and move forward and I knew that everything that was going to come along with, with that it wasn't and I knew I was coming up to that that point and I finally went over the edge and as I was 
falling and getting ready to crash and burn, that's the moment that I realized that all this time I had wings and I could fly. And it wasn't until I went over the edge that I realized that, 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 that there was a better life awaiting for me and that I could soar. So. I love that. You have like the most beautiful analogies I think we've ever had on this show. Um, so let's, think about them. <laughs> let's talk about that moment you're over the edge and you're realizing you can fly. You're living on your own and unemployed at this point, right? Like, where were you living? Okay, so to go back to the analogy of flying, it wasn't as simple as poof, the wings are out and I'm soaring. Uh, it, it actually was months and years of taking these small little acts of faith and having help from friends that were supportive. Uh, one of my friends uh, named Bobby, she had a hanger. An airplane hangar attached to her house. She lived in a private airport community. And this this hangar, which has housed her all of her airplanes and was her workshop and stuff, also had a, a like a little apartment. It had a small little kitchenette set and a shower, and it had a place that you know could be a living room and a place that could be uh, a bedroom. And she was like, "Let you move in for a small rent." And I was still close, you know, still living close to the kids and stuff. Uh, I was telecommuting at the time, so I was able to be Kimberly 24-7. So your telecommuting is not telecommuting in 2020. It was like over the phone. But mainly over the phone. I did have a computer. I was So I had retired at this time, and I was working for a private company as a program manager. And I... Uh, so that gave me a chance to kind of grow. About that time, I lost the program manager job, and you know the, the scenario that I just told you about—you know, losing my spouse, my family, and me coming out to my close knit people that I, I had hoped would been supportive and understood the duress that I was going through. And uh, after getting that rejection, I immediately got a new job and moved up to DC and I had another friend, Brenda, who opened her house up to me for, for a period of time and I moved in with her and uh, started working in the Pentagon and from day one I was Kimberly there and uh, it didn't take me longer than 10 minutes with my new company to realize that I, it was the right choice and I, I was, that's when I started to soar. So when you um, got this new job, did you tell them that you were trans when you were applying? Did you apply as Kim? I didn't. Uh, so my middle name is Kyle, and I've always gone by Kyle. So I applied as Kyle, Kyle Morris. And uh, <laughs> so uh, I got the job over the phone. You know, I had the skill sets they were looking for. They really needed to fill this position. It had been open for, for a bit. And so they, they hired me and I was like, gosh, in fact, they had tried to hire me before and I was like, no, I don't want to commute up to DC. Blah, blah, blah. I was, at that point I was like, yeah, done. So we did all the like paper electronically and everything like that. And I was like, okay, you know, I had my epiphany. I'm going to be Kimberly. I'm going to do it. So I called my friend, Amanda Simpson, who had been working at the Pentagon. Uh, 
really she's a wonderful wonderful person uh see i've been really blessed with just some amazing friends and just some cool people and i said amanda how did you you know manage working in the pentagon how did how, how were you able to do it in such a uber masculine place and she was like have you told your hr yet i was like no and she was like she cleared her calendar and she's like all right we're gonna get coffee we need to talk and uh, she was like okay there are no secrets in the pentagon you can't just show up different different gender you need to you need to start the process with the hr and so that when you show up they're not expecting one thing and another now and amanda simpson this friend of yours who's giving you advice she's pretty famous right isn't she like oh, yeah yeah, yeah. She, wonderful just wonderful and beautiful inside and out uh, but she was an undersecretary uh, in the DOD, undersecretary of defense. For, uh, and so for her to take that time and that effort, um, it still does. She's still one of my heroes. meant the world to me. And, uh, you know, I, I've got a, a list of people that have just made, in a small amount of time, have made huge impacts on me, you know, huge impacts on who I am. You know, people like Kristen Beck. Uh, were, were huge influences in my my transition. Anyways, uh, so I went to the HR department. I showed up for my my uh, initial in brief and training course about the company. The company's WBB, and the reason I love this company, they were so amazing to me. So I get to the the uh, in brief, and I'm and I meet the uh, the receptionist. I, Tells me to have a seat. We talk for a bit. I have a seat, having a cup of coffee, and the HR person comes down the hallway. And I was, you know, I'm nervous as can be. You know, I'm freaking out because now I'm like, this is the first time that I really put myself out, out to other people to accept me. Because <laughs> I could always use a different name. I could always use, you know, I always kept the, you know, a degree of departure from it. Now I had to really confront it. So I'm sitting there and I, I went and bought this beautiful navy blue, because I was working for the navy, navy blue and tan dress. And I had got a new wig at stage. I was looking good. And uh, she comes walking down, just this cute, petite blonde. And she sees me and she goes, oh my gosh, I love your hair. And just this wave of relief. And I was like, they know. They knew all. They just knew. And this is how they're welcoming me. And I feel so great about it. So she sits down and we start talking about fashion and hairstyles and, you know, makeup and stuff. And we talk probably for maybe three to five minutes. She was like, well, you just look absolutely gorgeous. But I'm actually here to meet somebody else. I'm here to meet somebody. So you'll have to excuse me. Oh, wait. So she thought you were just like, she just was complimenting you on your hair. Yes. So when she said that, I went, I was like, oh, crap. So all that whole fear, just like ice water got thrown on me. And I'm like, oh, crap. She didn't know it was me. So she goes up to the desk and she goes, I'm here to meet Kyle. And she's looking around like, and our sessions was like, bitch, she's right over there. <laughs> He's just talking to her. And she looks at me and I'm like, and her eyes get big and her jaw drops and my heart stops. 
there's ice in my veins. And she's like, this is so cool. And just at that point, it was just like a volcanic eruption of love. And I was like, this is the greatest company ever. I'm never leaving it. I will work extra hours for free. They have earned my trust for life. They, they've earned my loyalty. Greatest company ever. And uh, so then she grabs me by the arm, starts asking me questions. Are you going to change your name? Are you going to change your gender marker? What's going to go on? How can we do this? What can we do to help you? Goes and gets the other HR person. They start talking about how they can help me change my name, change my gender marker, how we can get the paperwork squared away, how I can start as Kimberly. Goes and gets the program manager. He's a big, tall, former Navy captain, big, gruff guy. And he does his, sticks out his hand, and he's like, hey, Kimberly, welcome aboard. And I'm just, just being, and I was on cloud nine, and I was like, I am never leaving this company. I am going to work extra hours. They will not be sorry that they hired me. And as, as they told me, they were like, I, I was like, I just was nervous, and you needed to know, because I didn't want to show up day one at work. and. You go, wait a second, that's not who we hired. And she was like, we hired you for what's you know, what's in, in between your ears, you know? We didn't hire you for your gender or anything like that. We hired you for your skills. And uh, that's when I knew I was, I was pretty, pretty blessed. And day one, I showed up at the Pentagon working for the Navy, and nobody hiccuped. Nobody gave a beat. Nobody looked at me sideways. Nobody said a snide comment. And I was <laughs> off and running. That's when I started to really soar. I love that. And, you know, and I, I hope that people who are out there that are like employers watch things like this because it's when you show that kind of love to an employee that that's what you want. You want somebody to say, I'll work for you forever. I'll work extra. Right. I'll work Absolutely. overtime. Like, you know, when you give that love, you get 10 times back. So, oh, oh yeah. absolutely, yeah, and that, right. that's that's so, what I'm to this day. Navy, the Navy has given me another opportunity, so I work as a government employee for the Navy now, and uh, I'm I am Navy all the way, life loyal, and the, the people that I work with, some know about Kimberly, some don't. The ones that know all come up to me and tell me how courageous I am and how they are inspired just by me showing up to work every day. And they respect me for the skills that I bring to the table. And that's what they look at. Nothing and else. So you're, you know, you're living in like the Virginia DC area. You're working at the Pentagon. I'm assuming you're getting involved in politics. Like the more that you're transitioning, the more that you're out. I was involved in the community. Uh, when I was active duty, I got involved with this organization for active military people called Sparta active trans people and they were uh we it was kind of a secret group because nobody could be out at that time so it was a, a, a support group you know that people that knew they were transgender how could you work for an organization that doesn't allow you to be transgender but at the same time you know live your life and support your family and do what you need to do so it was it was a a very valuable support group, especially at that time in my life. Uh, I joined it probably with about a year and a half left in the military. 
So when I got out of the military, I'm this veteran in this active duty group, and they uh, asked to have anybody uh, volunteer to run the veterans committee. And one of my friends volunteered me for it. They picked me, and I was like, okay, I'll do it. So I started getting involved in that. Uh, from that, uh, I got was contacted by the Transgender American Veterans Association, AVA, uh, to come on board as one of their uh, at-large board of directors. Uh, at this time, I, I was like, yeah, I've, I felt like I could give something. I felt very blessed in my life. And I felt that the one thing that I could offer is to be able to give something back to the community some way, somehow. So I accepted the position there and I've been on the, the TAVA board ever since. And that was probably 2015. No, no, probably 2014. That's amazing how, you know, you had denied this for so long. You would buy makeup, you would purge it. And now you're an active board member of these organizations you're becoming like an activist yourself i you know it, it's really kind of weird because you know when you kind of go through this process and you can get to the point where you can take a step back and look backwards on it uh and really it's really you know from 2015 through 2018 in that three-year period i lived an entire life i modeled was in the military I supported the military, you know, I'm on a board of directors, uh, you know, changed my name, lost family, gained family. It was just, it's kind of crazy. I lived a whole life in those three years and it was kind of overwhelming. But anyways, you take a step back and you can look back your entire life and you see a pattern of what kind of led you to this point. I don't think I could have done this without a lot of my friends and people in the community like yourself and, you know, Monica Prada and Elizabeth Taylor and Rory. But at the same time, I don't think I could have done this either without having the Marine Corps and the drive and the discipline and the being able to uh, process hardships. And, and, you know, uh, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't have gotten this far. So, Kim, how did you how did you end up on CNN? Like, how did that happen? Okay, uh, so you know, President Trump put out his his tweet, you know, his infamous tweet out there, and uh, I, there was a protest. So I was like, went and told my leadership, "Hey, this is what's happening. I'm taking the day off," and they were like. Roger, we get it. <laughs> Fortunately, I had worked for a, a, a couple of cis females, and, uh, and they were like, yeah, this is the same kind of crap that we heard when we were told, you know, we couldn't be on ships. We couldn't serve the Navy in a certain way. So we, we totally understand. So I got a lot of support and understanding from, from my immediate leadership. I'm not the protesting type person. I'm not waving signs and banners and stuff like that. So I went down there for moral support. And quite honestly, a whole lot of my friends were down there. <laughs> so it kind of became social hour <laughs> for me. And I was going around seeing everybody, hugging them, asking how they were doing, catching up, you know. And then in the middle of it, you know, the person with the 
bullhorn was like, anybody want to come up and speak? And I'm like, oh, hell no. <laughs> I'm not speaking in front of nobody, especially in front of the White House. <laughs> and uh, my friends are like, yeah, you need to go and tell your story. You need to get up there and tell your story. You know, you don't have So I reluctantly agreed to get up on the steps and told the story about, you know, being a Marine and going to our war and coming back and really and truly, I had more rights and privileges and freedoms in Iraq than, well, I didn't actually. Uh, what I meant to say was uh, I'm fighting for these rights and privileges for Iraqi people to have that I couldn't have for myself back home. You know, the right to have a job, the right to have housing, the right to have medical care. Well, all those things can be denied to you if you're trans. And of course, his, his tweet reinforced that in the military. And I, I, I felt it was ironic that I spent a year of my life, you know, in a very nasty place to give somebody a, a right that I didn't even have in my own backyard. And uh, afterwards, you know, Washington Post and stuff came up, I get my name and my quotes and stuff like that. Well, I'm friends, good friends with Kristen Beck, who had done a CNN uh, interview years before, and she was one of my inspirations for being able to come out and to face, to reconcile my masculinity and my femininity. And uh, they had contacted her to do an interview. And she was just kind of overwhelmed with the interviews that she was already doing. So she was like, Kimberly, you got this one. It's your turn to take this, this scene in bed. So I accepted and went and did this scene in an interview. And uh, I'm pretty proud of it. I think it came out really, really well. Uh, and I ended up, I, gosh, I had probably done about four or five interviews that week. Kimberly, how did you prepare for the interview? Like, how do you prepare for being like on a national spotlight like that? That had to have been nerve wracking. I worked with this guy in the Pentagon. Uh, his name, uh, and we would chat back and forth. He's a really great guy, really funny. Uh, the kind of quiet. So I come into work, and he goes, "Kimberly, great interview." And I was like, I just like turned white, and I was like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> like, uh, your interview on CNN, and I was like, "You saw that?" And he was like, "No shit, Kimberly, it was on CNN. Everybody's seen it." And I was like, "What have I done?" In this moment of pride, and you know using my real name and all this other kind of stuff. I totally outed myself. And he was like, yeah, you're out there now. And he goes, uh, my, my, my fiance really wants to meet you. So uh, that's when I met Lindsay. <laughs> Lindsay Taub, the image right. phone. Yeah. And she's one of those bigger than life people. And we connected immediately. And she's, she's been not only one of my best friends, but, really has come to my rescue quite a few times uh, in those very, in, in what, in sometimes very subtle ways and other times not so subtle ways. Uh, <clears throat> for instance, uh, with my work with Tave and Sparta, we were invited to go to, to the Senate and House Armed Services Committee and present our case to their, you know, to the committees. Uh, which was, you know, mainly staffers at this time. And then we were to go talk to congressmen and women and senators uh, about our service as 
trans members. And so I got the honor, I was going to have the honor of sitting in front of the House Senate, House and Senate Armed Services Committee. And I was freaking out, what do I wear? Well, Lindsay's a fashion consultant. So I was like, call her up and said, Lindsay, please help me, help me with this. And I, by, I left the Pentagon and I was probably three miles down the road. And she's like, I'm at Macy's, turn around, come back. I've got like 12 outfits for you. So she sat with me and did like this quick color style consult in the Macy's. Bought a whole new business outfit. Still one of my, it's still my favorite. Just, you know, Coco Chanel looking, red, white, and blue knit jacket. Oh, it was so beautiful. She was so good. And while we were doing it, people are like, I need a stylist like that. Uh, you know, so she did my, you know, she, so since then she's done my colors and styling and stuff. So she's really kind of my, my fashion guru and really kind of gave me the, the full understanding of the basics to be a professional in the workplace and that confidence that came along with it. Uh, I guess I kind of mentioned it early, you know, having a group of individuals over a time period, over, you know, three-year time period, helping you out builds confidence. So, you know, when I talk about being the, you know, the flying and soaring with the wings, it was people like Lindsay and Monica Prada and Elizabeth Taylor and, you know, the people that I worked with accepting me and embracing me and how my children have responded to me. Those were all part of the mechanism to allow me to soar because as I lost all those things, the things that replaced it were so much better and so much more rewarding for me because they were accepting me as me, how I saw myself. They saw the same thing. And they saw the core person just like they had always seen before, but now they got to see the being excited, happy Kimberly that went along with it. And that was kind of, that's how you get to the soaring part. Well, since I've known you, I have always just seen the soaring woman. Like I, you know, it's incredible to hear the struggle and how, you know, you weren't always, Kim, you weren't always at this level of upper echelon, stunning beauty, confidence. I mean, right, I see, I see your social media posts all the time. Like, it looks like you were, you're living my dream life. Like, I see you going for your runs on the beach. Like, where, like, you know, at one point, you thought you had lost everything. You're glowing now. What is life like for you right now after all these people have had hands in helping you the the friends in the community, the cisgendered vendors, you've got Elizabeth Taylor and Monica Prada and Lindsay Taub and, you know, all these people who are, who are helping you soar. Where have you soared to? I am, I have, I'm in a really great place. I accepted a job for the Navy. I'm at GS14 uh, down here in Suffolk. I do IT, mainly working with satellite communications. Um, I, it's a great job. I, my, my boss knows about being trans and, uh, you know, just like the rest of the Navy, he said, I'm, I'm hiring you for your skill set, for your knowledge and 
for your experience, your past experiences, you know, and that, that includes my experiences as a male in, in the Marine Corps. Uh, so all that has kind of coalesced together at, at this moment, but having, uh, I came down here and I love the water and I love the beach and it kind of gives my soul some tranquility that goes along with it. So immediately I came down here, I saw the environment, I accepted the job first thing, came, moved down here. I said, my one requirement is I want to be as close to the beach as possible. So I bought a condo, just, I walked in there and said, okay, this is the place. And I dropped anchor. <laughs> I'm on a, I'm on a, a little peninsula that's next to a harbor that fronts the Chesapeake Bay has this nice long beach with these big giant million dollar houses that are, are along the front. I mean, you walk through the neighborhood, you're like, am I really living here? Am I really living this life? And uh, my oldest daughter moved in with me about a year ago. Uh, she's in her last year of college. And just being able to have my kids near me by the beach with a great job working for great people in a wonderful organization. I love the Navy so much. It's such a cool place. I, I'm happy and it just, I can't, I feel blessed because I know that even when people surround themselves by good people, things don't always fall in the way they would like them to. Uh, people don't always get as lucky as I've gotten. And that uh, you, you have the acceptance now from the children. Uh, yeah. how, how did that work for you? How did you come out to them? So, you know, initially when me and my spouse kind of announced that we were splitting up, I thought it was, that there was going to be a chance of reconciliation. I just had to figure myself out. But even at that point, I wasn't, I had no transition inklings. Explore the idea like what happens if but at that point there was no way I was going to transition and a few things happened in my life that it was like we're there is going to be no reconciliation so then that's when I started going full-time well once I started going full-time there was kind of a, a disconnect with my kids well I got really enthusiastic that I'm transitioning so therefore you need to know that I, I'm happy and this is the best part of me, you need to understand and accept the best part of me too. So I was getting books and the Jazz Jennings, you know, things for my kids and, uh, you know, articles on how to help your, your children understand being transgender. And finally they were like, they all got together. They had like this meeting together. They wrote up this list of cease and desist order on the things they wanted me to stop doing. And like the top five of them were like, you know, stop talking about being transgender, stop feeding us transgender, you know, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. And uh, so finally one day my oldest, who was starting to get a lot of anxiety and duress about me being trans, was finally like, okay, I need to rip the bandaid off this, this deal because it's starting to affect me. So she asked for a meeting to meet Kimberly and, uh, we did. So we had it at a, a, a public place at the IHOP. 
And I walked in, she was already sitting there. She saw me and I wore my Lindsay Taub outfit that I had worn for Congress because I wanted to look as nice and professional and as beautiful, but serious at the same time. So it was probably my best outfit for that. We sat down and had pancakes. She started crying. I started crying. And once we started having pancakes and started talking, we started getting to the part where we were laughing and joking about it and transitioning and what does this mean? And, uh, you know, we just started laughing. And from that point, things started moving forward and started getting a little bit better. Uh, she was definitely the influencer of my other kids. And they were having a hard time with the dress. I was still seeing them on weekends, uh, seeing them in guy mode, but guy mode was like, I was like cross-dressing as a guy. It was not, I was not doing a very good job of it. Because I had, you know, a lot of my feminine mannerisms that were inherently in me kind of blossom. You know, so finally they were like, okay, Kimberly. So I did the same thing, wearing my Lindsay outfit, <laughs> went to uh, went to the house, and I was in front of all of them, all you know, my my ex and my two other kids, and I was like, "This is me." And I sat down, and their eyes were kind of like this. We talked maybe five, ten minutes. They gave me a hug. I got in the car and drove all the way back to DC. But that was kind of the beginning of me not hiding the Kimberly side anymore. I started coming out more and more. There were still a lot of challenges, you know, they were so used to calling me dad. That whenever we go to a grocery store or a restaurant, dad this, dad this, especially when they were competing for attention or we're in a, a, you know, shopping center or something like that, a mall, and I'm looking at something they want my attention. It's, hey, dad, you know, across the thing. I'm like, so do they still call you dad now? They don't. We, we, they won't call me mom, and which I'm fine with because I never ever intended to absorb the, the role of mom. I like the role of dad, and I like you know being able to present being a parent my way, and that doesn't necessarily fit the mom way. Uh, so, but dad definitely caused... I don't mind dad. They call me dad when we're in the privacy of the house. It's just when you're out in public, it causes a lot of awkward looks and awkward, you know, stances and stuff like that. And I remember one of my biggest fears in all this was them having to be ashamed of me and being felt awkward because of who I am. And that includes it at the school. So, you know, you go to my daughter's school, sometimes she'll refer to me as her aunt. I'll, I'll deal with that. She'll, it'll, it'll be in her time if it ever happens. She'll say that I'm her parent. I know she loves me, so it doesn't erode any of that. Uh, but they all, they all this, we all kind of decided that D was the best thing, which is short for dad. So when we're out and about, and if I'm doing something and they want my attention, they'll call me D, and I'll, I'll look up, and I've become pretty responsive to it. But, uh, yeah, that's that's, I, I gave a whole bunch of suggestions. They didn't like any of them. <laughs> they, they chose D, and that's what we're going with since they picked it. 
Well, and you know, I've I've met your youngest, Caroline. I met her at a VC soiree. So talk about the bell of the ball, you know, for children who were like, stop feeding us articles on being transgender and just let us come to it in our own time. She has certainly become like the star of the show. Like I think she's overshadowed, overshadowed Kimberly a little bit. Oh, you, you, oh definitely. You know, she uh, was diagnosed with cancer when she was five, leukemia. And, you know, I hadn't transitioned at this point, but the community was a big part of my emotional balance and most emotional support out there. Uh, I had developed some really, really good friendships. Uh, in fact, uh, my friend Kimber was the very first person I even told that I, you know, Caroline had cancer. And you know, she was my best friend in the community, my best friend, period. It's, so the community, you know, when I, when I finally put it out there, just immediately just wrap their arms around me and my family. Uh, I have my other best, other best friend, <laughs> quite a few best friends in the community. Uh, and little sister in the Spanny uh, Club is Amanda out in California. So Amanda Edwards put together a fundraiser to help me, you know, handle, you know, the, the finances that we're going to go in for, just the gas from going from, you know, where we live to Richmond for treatment. Was, you know, just the community just put their arms around me both financially and just support because of her. And as a result, I've kind of put her, her cancer treatment kind of aligned with my transition deal on you know, getting our lives back. And so, so she's kind of paralleled me on Facebook on, on, on her journey with cancer about the same time. So I'm putting my journey out there with, uh, with my transition. The community and Facebook really kind of became a, a therapist's deal. It, was about, it gave me an outlet to express stuff that I just couldn't keep in anymore. And you know, express my victories and express my fears in, 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 in pictures and in writing. And, and it was very therapeutic oh, for me. That's amazing. It's like the community helped you have this healing journey together with what you were going through personally and what you're going through with, with Caroline. How I'm is her levels. Yeah. How is her health now? Oh, she's fine. Yeah. Oh, she's, Two years ago in August, she went through her last chemotherapy. She still goes to get the blood checked and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, for her type of leukemia that she had, they actually say that she's cured of cancer. Uh, Congratulations. That's amazing. You've seen her. She's a bubbly, uber energetic, follow the ball. She loves this spotlight and she loves entertaining and she loves laughing and goofing and you know yeah no she's she's precious and i'm so happy for you and i i really appreciate you taking this time to share that you know i think people see you and they just think it's so easy that you got there all on your own and you know you've had all these beautiful people shape your life and transition along the way and, and i love that it, it didn't happen overnight 
um, you know, so these, these stories that you're sharing, I know are going to mean so much to so many, but for now, um, there's two questions I always, I always like to ask. Uh, the first is if there was one piece of advice that you wish somebody had given you that you would like to share with somebody else, what would that advice be? Yeah. Well, I'm going to give you several pieces of advice on here. Cause one, I don't think we'll do, but uh, probably to start with, listen to yourself, listen to your heart, uh, listen to what, you know, what the world's telling you. Um, my therapist said, you know, the reason you're hitting so much duress is that you're at a crossroads in life and you're, sometimes those decisions are tough. You have to follow that gut instinct because if you don't, then you're going to spend the rest of your life fighting against what that, that pathway should have been. Uh, two is that a smile is the best makeup. And uh, if you wear a smile, you're opening yourself up to others. And when you open yourself up to others, it's your responsibility to surround yourself by good, loving, positive people. Because that is how to make positiveness happen in your own life. It's because you can't always be doling it out and pouring it out because you're like a you're like a pitcher of water. If you keep pouring out your spirit and your, your energy and you don't fill it up with some something else, then you'll go dry. And what you fill it up with has to be positive. So surround yourself by positive with positive people. And probably the hardest one that I had to learn. I still struggle with this a little bit is that people that you love might be toxic in your life. And sometimes you just got to let that go. You got to let that tie. Sometimes you got to cut that toxicness out of the system so that you can fully embrace. Because if you don't, you'll always be looking back to that old self or to yesterday or to the things that you lost, not the things that you have. And uh, sometimes those are a constant reminder of, you know, it's a journey and it's a process. And part of that means, you know, getting rid of the old. Don't get rid of the, the good stuff, just get rid of the bad stuff. And you'll know because they're the ones that'll make you cry. They're the ones that'll make you hate yourself. And they're the ones that when you're looking in the mirror saying, well, they were right about this. Once you start hearing those in your head, those are the type of things that need to be cut out <clears throat> and surround yourself with people like you, Cassandra, and Lindsay, Amber, that are just always a positive added influence and uh, smile and be happy. I think that is beautiful advice for anybody at any stage in their life. That, that's just amazing. Well, I find that. Being trans, this is kind of like the least interesting thing about me. It's just, it's been my version of the journey. I look at cis people and a lot of times I see them going through that same internal duress, but mine was related to gender identity. So it was a lot easier to identify. They got stuff in their, their systems that they need to get out. But they have no idea what's causing it. And, you know, so in that regard, I kind of feel fortunate about it. No, it's very true. Very true. And my, my last question for you today, um, where are you one year, five year, 10 years down the road? Where do you see yourself? 
gosh, if everything goes perfectly according to plan a year from now, I am right here doing pretty much the same thing because I'm in a good place. I love what I'm doing. I love where I'm at. And I don't, honestly, I can one up it. Five years from now, I hope a lot more of this being by the beach. Uh, I'm hoping that on the relationship side of the, the house, things will progress, and you know, I'll, I'll, my, the things I like doing is curling up on the couch someone I love and watching a movie or saying, hey, let's go, you know, to the local restaurant and grab some seafood and watch the sunset or take a walk on the beach hand in hand. That's where I see myself in five years. Um, in the future, I don't know, just one of my biggest fears, you'll find this funny, one of my biggest fears about transitioning was I couldn't wrap my head around being an old woman. <laughs> Gray hair, wrinkles, you know, walker. Yeah, neither can I. That's okay. So I was like, I can't transition because I can't see myself as an, as an old woman. Like, who's who's going to take care of the, the old trans woman? Uh, you know, because healthcare in the trans community is, you know, kind of iffy thing as it is uh, so, so I was kind of I worried about that to the extent that up until I started to transition I always had a vision of what my future was gonna look like I always had that five and ten year plan and I always had it lined up and, and categorized and I started transitioning that 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 future went black it was just blank and that really scared me because I'm like I can't think of anything beyond next month, much less in the future. So to have a vision of what my life is going to be like in a year or five years, or 10 years from now, has been kind of a, a new resurgence. It's part of my loving life again and, and being in that really good place. I mean, I, I had gotten in such a dark spot, Cassandra. Uh, I never contemplated suicide, but all of a sudden, those that had because of gender dysphoria, it made sense to me, and that really scared me, that I could all of a sudden empathize with somebody that had committed suicide, because now I was going through that same type of duress, and it scared me so much so that I had a pistol, I gave it to my friend, and I said, look, I'm not suicidal, but... All it takes is one night of hard drinking and one day of one more bad thing hitting me. I'm on the edge of the abyss and I'm looking into it and I'm scared. And she's, that's what we're here for. We got you. Now that I'm on the other side of that, that dark spell and I'm looking out and I'm seeing the future and stuff like that. I, I don't need much more. Just, I need to appreciate those little moments that happen so that when I get 10 years from now, I can look back and say, gosh, that was a, that was a good ride. You know? That's awesome. That's awesome. Kim, thank you so much for, for everything that you shared and the incredible advice 
Thank you also for your service, um, you know, all your military service, all the advocacy that you're doing. You are so beautiful inside and out. And I'm so excited that we had this chance to share this with, with everybody. Sanders, I want to say thank you for what you're doing for the community. I, there are people out there that are like me that are just hitting their first starting points of the journey. And you're one of those influencers and you're going to change lives as you go along. So congratulations on that. And I hope that you reap all tenfold of what you're putting out there. Oh, thank you. Well, fingers crossed. I hope that this is making a difference to people. I believe it is. Um, and I, I know that your story is going to touch some lives. So thank you so much. And thank you to all our listeners for joining us this morning. I hope that you've enjoyed this journey and, uh, you know, look for Kimberly Moore. I'm sure she's going to be back out on CNN and in the paper with something incredible in the future too. Well, thank you, Cassandra. You have a great rest of the weekend. You too, sweetie. Thank you so much. Goodbye, everybody. Have a great day. Join our mission of outreach, education, and support for the transgender community at myfeminineheart.com.